Once I left survival mode is when I really started to experience life because I didn't have to be prepared for war for every given moment of every day. Hey, welcome to Healing with Gabe. Chances are you clicked on this video because you are living in survival mode and you want to get out. So in this episode one, I'm going to give a bit of background about me and teach you exactly how you can live out of fight or flight. Now, I've been preaching how to break out of survival mode most of my entire social media content creator career. But just for all of you listening, I just want to give a bit of background about me and why I know what it is that you're going through. So for the better part of 20 years, I was uh, living in fight or flight. When it came to my 20s, when I was doing a law degree in university, my nervous system dysregulation got to the point where I had a few health conditions kind of on the underside, but they weren't so severe that it was severely impacting my quality of life. Well, I mean, being in fight or flight affects your quality of life regardless. But anyway, so uh, by then, the my nervous system and my body just could not be hack living in survival mode because that's toxic for your body if you're in a constant state of survival so i developed a good few chronic health conditions that all came crashing down and uh, i got tired of living in fight or flight i was just a kid in my 20s and i already couldn't think about going on I, my mental health and my physical health was so low to the point where i just thought like what am i gonna do like how am i gonna beat this and then this is when I dive down the rabbit hole of regulating my nervous system and trying to, because I had seen all the doctors, I saw the GPs, I saw the physicians, got every test possible done on my body. And other than the actual physical conditions, they couldn't, they couldn't figure out what was causing it. But I knew what was causing it. Stress was causing it. Nervous system dysregulation and trauma in my nervous system was causing it. So I dived on, learned how to detach from thoughts, built a few good habits like cold chars, being in nature, eating right, which I'm going to get into later, and doing this consistently and understanding that it's a process and being compassionate towards myself throughout the journey helped me heal. And now I can safely say that I live out of fight or flight more than I live in it. Now, if you've ever followed any of my socials or you've seen me on TikTok, you know that I preach mindfulness to live out of fight or flight. So think of your entire life. You have been writing with your right hand and you've been opening doors with your right hand. You've been eating food with your right hand. You've been doing everything in your life with your right hand. And what have I told you? If you just, instead of putting your right hand as your dominant hand, Use your left hand as your dominant hand. You can write so much better. You can move so much better. You can drive so much better. Everything that you used to do with your right hand, if you did it with your left, it is so much better. That's essentially what meditation is. It's allowing you to operate from a place of detached witness. Now, what do I mean by detached witness? I mean you are detached from your thoughts. I mean you are detached from these thoughts that are putting you into fight or flight. Stop having conversations with yourself in your own head. You can't outthink your anxiety. You can't outthink your depression. And you can't outthink your problems. 
This is what we do essentially every moment of every day where we get lost in our thoughts and lost in our mind, which are putting us into fight or flight. Because chances are, if you're an anxious person, if you're a depressed person, your thoughts are what keeping you stuck and into the cycle of being in fight or flight. Before you click off this video because you think meditation is for Buddhists in a monastery or you've tried to meditate and all it did was just make you a little sleepy, let me explain what usually happens when the first time someone sits down and tries to meditate. It usually goes a little something like this. So you sit down in a room, uh, cross-legged, you close your eyes and you try to focus on your breath or signs or sights or whatever it is. And you notice this is just you sitting in a room with your eyes closed, being lost in thought. And you think you're supposed to feel calm and all this bliss. And you don't feel that. And you think, oh, this sucks. I'm such a bad meditator. Let me just get up and go about my day. I'm just wasting my time. Krishnamurti said, thoughts are like waves, but you can learn to surf. And that's essentially what happens. So thoughts can sometimes be positive, you know, and the waves are crashing very gently. You might be having thoughts like, oh, I feel really good today. I look really good today. Or sometimes thoughts can be very negative, And chances are if you're stuck in survival mode, your thoughts are quite negative. <laughs> it might be, oh, I'm useless or I'm not worthy of love or I feel lonely. And these thoughts are crashing very hard and you choose to believe it without having separation of these thoughts in your head. Meditation allows you to give you a surfboard so you can surf. Meditation allows you to surf on these thoughts as they come across. It's like having a volume button in your head and it's always dialed up to a thousand because you feel like you can't breathe. Your head is just so noisy. Meditation allows you to take the TV remote and lower the volume in your own head so you can breathe. A pretty amazing thing happens once you start fucking around this meditation thing. Because once you start detaching from thoughts, your attention is literally free to go on to other things. Now, what do I mean by other things? Your attention is free then to go on your breath. And everyone knows breath controls mind and mind controls breath. And when your attention naturally falls onto your body and your breath, your breath slows and your breath deepens. And guess what happens when your breath slows and your breath deepens? Your body goes out of fight or flight because your breath is calm and it is telling your heart and your brain that you are safe. Because if you're stuck in survival mode, chances are you're breathing rapid and shallow, which is keeping you in a state of survival. And not only that, once your attention is freed up from thoughts, it also allows you to move into your body sensations, your breath, like I said, but also sights and signs. And this is when you can interact in a social situation and not feel anxious. For all my socially anxious people, anxiety is just thoughts and fears of the next moment and the future being too much for you to handle. That is all it is, thoughts. They actually find that the physiology of anxiety is so close to excitement that the thing that's different is your mind's perception of it because you see everything as a threat. So, one thing you can do to deal with anxiety, notice if, okay, if I'm about to give a speech and my head is like, everyone in this room is going to laugh at you. Ask yourself, where did that thought come from? And is that thought reasonable to assume that just because I make a mistake, this entire room 
is going to laugh at me while I make a speech? Or is that mind just being scared and trying to protect me? Is my ego just scared and trying to protect me? Step one. And then notice where you feel the anxiety in your body. Anxiety is usually felt in your gut or you can probably feel it in your shoulders because your shoulders are risen. So notice that. Put awareness onto your body. And what, just watch what happens. You don't have to try to push the anxiety away. You don't have to try and make yourself feel calm. Just awareness and presence of what you're feeling is enough to let it pass like a wave. These emotions come, these emotions go. That is a law of impermanence in Buddhism. Your emotions aren't going to last forever. We, we think it's going to last forever. We feel sadness, we feel anger, and we think we're going to be sad or angry forever, that we do just about anything to try and get rid of that. Whether that's eating to try and make myself feel better, whether that's getting high, whether that's uh, drinking, whatever it is, we just try to push it away. But did you know that a negative emotion only lasts 90 seconds in your body, but you have to be aware during that 90 seconds and not try to push it away. And if you want to... heal the fear in your nervous system you have to be willing to feel fear irene lyons said this and she's a nervous system expert and she said in order to deal with fear you have to not be willing to fear fear and by just by willing to feel your feelings you can allow them to be there because being human is ultimately about the spectrum of emotions. You'll have the highs, you have the lows. You never would not know joy if you were never not sad. Think about that. And a really interesting thing happened to me at work the other day. So we have, uh, so I'm on the sales team and uh, at the each Friday we do a quiz. And it's we do a quiz on Kahoot. If you guys don't know what it is, it's essentially like an online quiz where you type the answers on your phone. And it's an interactive thing. So our manager does this every Friday. And it was my turn to uh, make the quiz. And because I love meditation, and you guys know that I preach and breathe meditation, I made a quiz on meditation. Big surprise. (laughs) And uh, one of the true or false questions that I had put in there was, you are supposed to feel calm during meditation. True or false? Every single motherfucker selected true. Now, that makes sense why there's this big misconception of meditation and that you are just supposed to feel happy and calm as soon as you start meditating. That whole stigma could not be further from the truth. True meditation, true non-dualistic mindful meditation and Eastern philosophy like Taoism, Buddhism, all of that preaches allowing what is. Meditation is not about pushing away your current experience. It is more about accepting that current experience, whether that experience is sadness, depression, anxiety, even if it's calm and happiness and joy, that's fine too. Because you are not the one that feels anxious. You are not the one that feels sadness or happiness. You are the one that is aware of your sadness and your happiness, and your anxiety. And then once you notice yourself as the observer of your thoughts and your emotions that are happening in the field of consciousness, you can then become the awareness of this. And being the awareness of this gives you power. A few habits that have helped me live out of survival mode 
One, cold showers. Cold showers can increase your dopamine by 250%. Now, I want you to think about that for a second, because cocaine can increase your baseline dopamine by 150%. So the thing people snort into their noses for a 15-minute high, you can get a consistent dopamine release without any side effects, just through a cold shower or an ice bath. But not only that, whenever you take a cold shower, you are teaching your body and your nervous system to be able to tolerate being uncomfortable. Because it's not that stress is bad, it's not that feeling anxious and stressed in your nervous system is bad. It's that your nervous system does not have the capacity to feel stress at the moment. Which is why when you go into survival mode, it feels like war. So, cold chars. Not only to mention the cold chars are just amazing for your skin, your mental health, and your energy in general. But take cold chars. Take ice baths. And if you want to ease yourself into it, try lukewarm water first. Or try putting the cold water just on your feet. And then move yourself up. And if you can start by doing just 30 seconds. And just do that at the end of your shower. Do the shampoo, conditioning, whatever on your body, on your hair. And then at the end, just do 30 seconds cold. You got nothing to lose. It's just cold water. It's not going to kill you. It's going to feel uncomfortable. You're going to touch the cold water and you're going to be like, yeah, fuck this. (laughs) But you'll be fine. And once you get better each week, try do a minute. Try do a minute 30 seconds. Try do 10 seconds more and build yourself up. Because eventually you're going to do one minute of cold water and it's gonna feel fine it's gonna almost feel like regular water because you've built up your tolerance for being uncomfortable so much and remember pain and pleasure is linked in your neurophysiology so how much pleasure you feel is directly linked to how much pain you feel so the pain of a cold shower is gonna make you feel pleasure is gonna make you feel that dopamine after you do it so it's like a high that's a healthy high another thing Breathing. Most of you all are breathing wrong. You guys are mouth breathing, breathing from your chest, breathing from your shoulders. How can you expect to feel calm if you are not utilizing how your body is meant to breathe? Most of your nervous system is in your belly. And if you notice children or babies, you'll notice that they breathe from their belly. And there's a reason for this. When you breathe from your diaphragm, you can take in much more oxygen and breathe deeper and slower compared to if you were breathing from your upper body. So this is why people tell you, breathe slow, breathe deep, unless you're having a panic attack, which in case you want to breathe slow and you want to hold your breath. But for most of you, you guys are breathing like... (laughs) Of course, when you're doing that, you're putting your mind into a state of anxiety because it's like a seesaw. As you put weight on one side and you breathe very rapid and shallow, you're telling your body and your brain that you are in danger and that you are anxious and stressed. So obviously, your mind is going to produce more anxious and stressful thoughts. You can't control your thoughts, they're just happening to you. But you can't control your breath. So get good at observing your breath as it is. If you're in fight or flight, you're probably clenching in your belly. So let go of the clenching in your belly, which is going to allow you to breathe from your belly. And then once you start breathing from your belly, notice your breath as it is. Let it have its own rhythm. You don't need to control your breath. Your body knows how to breathe. 
You've been breathing your entire life. Your body is more than capable of healing you. So, once you start noticing your breath, as it is, your breath naturally slows. Your breath naturally deepens. And you naturally feel more calm. And usually when you get lost in thought, this is when your breath moves upwards in your body. And you start breathing from your chest. And you start breathing from your shoulders. And you start feeling anxious. And the cycle repeats. So step one is learning how to calm your breath. And if you feel like when you notice your breath, you feel like you're trying to control the breath, which is a really common thing I hear. If it feels like that and you feel like you're trying to control your breath, try and notice the space around the breath. Now, what I mean by that is as you look at me or as you look at your surroundings, notice the physical space, the air in front of you. So focus on that as you're focusing on your breath. And that should ease the attention on your mind. Another habit that massively helped me live out of fight or flight, journaling. Not only does journaling let you get to know yourself, but writing down your thoughts and creating awareness of your thoughts lets you choose which ones are serving you and which ones are not serving you. Now, there's tons of different journal prompts out there, but I will say the ones I've been using that have uh, served me well. So one thing I would write at the end of my day, I usually write at the end of my day because all the things that have happened throughout the day has just happened. So what has drained my energy today? So if I hung out with toxic friends or I noticed that eating a bunch of processed food drained my energy, I'll write it down. And then if that same thing happens week by week, day by day, I can notice the pattern. Because human beings and our behaviors are just patterns. And you just have to notice which patterns are helping you and which patterns aren't. Then I would write, what gave me energy today? Say I took a walk in the sun. Spent less time on my phone. That probably gave me energy. So I'm going to write it down. And then I would write, what did I learn today? So I could have learned that uh, my trigger, whenever I feel anxious or stressed, my go-to is just guilty eating and to eat all the cookies in the cookie jar. And that's fine. Just write it down because you're creating awareness of the triggers that are putting you into fight or flight. And without awareness, how can you do anything? Say I was overweight and I wasn't aware that I was overweight. And I wasn't aware that uh, eating a bunch of junk food and lack of physical activity is keeping me unhealthy. If I wasn't aware of that, I couldn't make any steps to improve that. I couldn't take any steps to start going to the gym, start eating right, start getting into a better mindset. I wouldn't be able to do any of that if I wasn't aware of my situation. And awareness is step one to healing your nervous system. Because even if you want a guilty eat and you want to eat all the cookies in the cookie jar, awareness allows you to be aware and conscious as you eat in the cookie jar or eat all the cookies in the cookie jar. And when you notice That when you are consciously aware, you're not in a place of disassociation of you doing whatever it is to try and make yourself feel better. And you might realize you might not want to eat all the cookies in the cookie jar. You might realize, oh, now that I'm aware, I I don't want to do this. And that ultimately leads to change. Because remember, awareness of your thoughts will lead to awareness of your actions, which will lead to awareness of what you do in your life. And that creates the results in your life. And then you change your life. You change your reality. One thing you guys need to understand about trauma is trauma is stored in your nervous system. 
and you don't actually heal, what happens is you feel safe enough, your nervous system feels safe enough to allow yourself to feel that fear and then love can come in. If you've been living in fight or flight because of trauma that has happened to you, whether that's physical trauma, childhood trauma, whatever, when that trauma happened to you, you disconnected. So to heal your nervous system, you need to reconnect and reorientate yourself in the present moment. So I'm just going to do a brief introduction to somatic therapy and mindfulness to orientate yourself and reconnect with your body and your environment. I want you to, for a moment with me, as you listen slash watch this, feel your hands, feel your feet, feel your body sitting on the seat or your feet if you're standing and just feel. You don't have to try and think about the feeling. Just feel the tingling or whatever it is you feel. Then notice what you see. Notice what you see through your eyes. You might want to gently scan your surroundings from left to right. You might notice that you gravitate more towards the left or more towards the right. If you notice yourself fixating on a an object or a corner in your periphery, that's fine. Just notice it. Now with curious awareness and beginner's mind, notice your feet again. Notice your hands again. Notice your belly. Notice if you're clenching in your belly. Notice your breath without trying to change the breath. Let it be. Now I hope that introduced some sort of uh, awareness of your body and your breath. But um, that's step one, learning to reconnect with your body and your breath. Because your breath will heal you. Your body will heal you. The body knows much better than the mind does. Like if I were to say to my fist, open fist, open fist, no matter how much I think open fist, until I physically move my muscles and my fingers, my fist isn't going to open. The body is so much more conscious than your mind is. And another thing that allows you to do this is you tend to find out where it is in your body that you hold tension, where it is in your body that you hold tightness. Sometimes it might be in your face, your shoulders, your belly. You can figure out which parts of your body that you hold the most tension. And next time when you reorientate and grind yourself in the present moment, you can immediately put your mind's attention like a flashlight on that body part. And it's like a hack to being out of fight or flight quicker. Okay, so I'm going to dedicate the last section of my video with things I learned this week that have helped me live out of fight or flight and just be happier in general. So one, ignore <laughs> ignore Chippy in the background having a spasm. <laughs> okay, number one, don't go on your phone as soon as you wake up in the morning. Why? Most of you guys and most of people in general, as soon as you wake up, you open your phone, which is distraction central, and you spend your first few minutes or hours scrolling on your phone in bed. Now, a few problems with this. One, whatever your brain gets dopamine from first thing in the morning, it will crave throughout the day. So if you get dopamine from your phone first thing in the morning, you're going to crave your phone more throughout the day. So, actionable thing you can do instead of going on your phone first thing in the morning. Go outside, get into preferably direct sunlight, have the light enter your eyes for 5 to 10 minutes, and you can literally feel the energy and the dopamine being produced in your body as you wake up. Another thing I learned, 
trust your feelings, not your thoughts, even if the feeling is uncomfortable. Now, just feel your way into this thing. You know the way Terence McKenna was like, why do talking monkeys need to understand your feelings? You don't need to understand your feelings. You try to think about your feelings to try and make them go away. That won't make them go away. Like ultimately you have a natural intuition and gut instinct of what you think is right and what you think is wrong and what you should do with your day. For example, today when I was in the grocery store, I had a gut feeling that I shouldn't buy this cheesecake because I just wanted the instant gratification of eating the cheesecake and I'm kind of on a clean diet. And I had a feeling, my thought was like, oh, just eat the cheesecake, it'll taste so good. Those were my thoughts. My feeling and my intuition was like, it didn't have to say any words, but it was like, you know you shouldn't do this. And I know you guys know what I'm on about. You know that saying, life is about little things? I've realized how true that is. Like all these peak experiences we have, whether that's hitting a milestone in your business or uh, going on an insane holiday, that's like 1% of your year. That's if even that. The rest of your life is how you greet your family, how you speak with your friends, how you spend your time, how you talk to yourself, how you spend each day. That is really your life and how you live that ultimately impacts your happiness. So those little conversations that you have with your spouse or your friends or your parents at dinner, how you wake up in the morning, how you interact with your cat. I play with Chippy like for 10 minutes every morning. Um, those little things ultimately are your life because how you spend your days is how you spend your life. So appreciate those moments. Something I always do is like the stoic last time meditation. There's going to be a last time I pet my cat. There's going to be a last time I take a walk just to take a walk. There's going to be a last time that I eat my favorite food because this thing called death, all of us will die. And chances are you are not going to know when it is the last time you hear your favorite song or the last time you eat your favorite food. So enjoy that moment as it is. Healing your nervous system is a process. And if you are not compassionate with yourself throughout the process, you are making the journey significantly more difficult for yourself. So, whenever I began healing my nervous system, I thought I was just I'm doing all the right things, I'm eating right, I'm meditating, I'm journaling, like why am I not healed yet? And I was getting impatient with myself. That is just me adding a roadblock, me obsessing over my nervous system and my health is actually keeping me from healing because I'm operating from a place of lack. So, be compassionate with yourself. Notice the micro wins throughout your day. Say you were 10% less reactive today. Say you usually eat all the cookies in the cookie jar five times a day when you feel sad or angry. And say you only did that four times today. That's a micro win because you were better than you were yesterday. So just record those micro wins to keep yourself motivated throughout the journey. If you want to heal, the easiest thing is to get a new environment. Because your mind and your subconscious mind and your body is going to associate a toxic environment with toxic thoughts. So this is why sometimes whenever you move out or you go on holiday, you start feeling better because you're in a new environment and you actually feel calmer. Nothing's changed. You're still the same person with the same personality, but your environment has changed. 
because you can never heal in a broken house. You can, it's difficult, but your environment is going to play a massive factor into who you think you are. And you should never trust a thought that's indoors. Never trust a thought that is indoors because if you are in a toxic environment and you're in a closed space, the thoughts you have are going to reflect that. This is why going outside and taking a walk significantly clears your head. Thank you guys for watching this podcast. I really enjoyed it. And episode two will be uh, next week. All right. Take care. Peace.